Well, like I said, it's been, I don't know how long since I've talked in front of people, and it's been that much longer since I've had to preach in front of people before. And so if you have a Bible, or you have a phone, or an app, or you said, I just want to listen to the pastor read it, that's fine too. I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of of, um, Ezra. And I didn't put the bookmark in there, because I have the bookmark from my wedding. So I'm going to go through it before the Psalms and Proverbs. After the book of Chronicles, you're going to get to the book of Ezra, and we're going to jump in somewhere around chapter 3 this morning. Now, before I give you the disclaimer that I'm not going to talk very long, I'm not going to tell you that, because if I tell you that, I'm going to talk too long. And uh, no one likes to hear Pastor Gary ramble on. So today we're going to do our best to stick to the notes, and if there's something that where we need to go, we'll go there. But if not, that's fine too. But I essentially want to talk about worship today. And, and here we are gathered in person online. We're worshiping in what we call spirit and in truth. And we worship through song, we worship through prayer, and we worship through how we live our lives every single day. But we've gathered here in person, we've gathered here online to worship our Heavenly Father corporately, together. Someone say together as family. And that is our prayer and our hope that as we come together, whether we have to meet online, whether we have to meet in person, whether we do both, we we really truly want you to feel like you're a part of the family. And so we just encourage you today. This is why we do the things like connect cards. This is why we want to hear from you because uh, essentially what it comes down to, uh, we want you to be blessed. And we know that God blesses people by using other people. And so if you are not feeling very blessed or encouraged today, I would just say, this is what I do. Go find someone else and start to encourage them. Start to bless them. And it's amazing how in that moment, you begin to feel encouraged and blessed as you lift up other people. Now, that comes naturally to me. Some of us, it's a little bit more work. We have to think a little bit harder about what we're going to say. But it's a gift that comes naturally to me, which is probably why God made me become a pastor. But together we worship as a family. You know, the instructions to the early church were, do not give up meeting together. Do not give up meeting together. And this has been a difficult season of meeting together. Am I right? We have been kind of told to hang out uh, in smaller groups for the last year and a half. It started with, don't hang out with anyone outside your home. Don't see anybody outside of your bubble. And then it was expanded. You could have like the five same friends, but if you have a family of, or you get like six people together, but you're a family of five, it's like, well, there's our thing there. Then you can go to the restaurant at one point. And then it was, you can all sit at a table, but you can only have four per table. I said, this is great. Three kids at one table, my wife and I across the restaurant having a nice date at the other. I think this would work really well. How many would think that would know that that would obviously not be the case. And so now we're at the stage where we can meet in a few larger groups. We can have as many people in this room as we want, as long as we can maintain our distance. And it's another step closer to something that we haven't experienced in a very long time. And so how do we handle this word from our early church fathers, do not give up gathering together? Well, here's what is one thing that fascinates me with the early church is did you know that the Apostle Paul and that Peter and all the other disciples and the apostles, they'd never had Zoom. 
They never had Facebook Live. They never had the ability to go on YouTube. And so I am so incredibly thankful for the technology that we have so that even though it may not be quite the same, we can still gather together. When we gather, why do we do that? We're encouraged to vote to devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching of Jesus and the gospel message of hope, transformation, and restoration. We're, we are given instruction to continually pray for one another. It says in the book of Acts, as we are to encourage and lift up those around us. We're told to gather because we need each other. We need to be a family. We need to be able to call on one another and lean on one another. We need to be able to have a friend that knows a little bit more about Jesus than we know about Jesus. Because maybe we're going through something that we've never walked through before, but we know so-and-so has. And we need these relationships. We need people who have walked through deep waters to show us how to be faithful to, in our faith, how to be faithful to Jesus when we go through hard times. When we're struggling with temptation, we need somebody to reach out to. This is why we create the church family. Because the kingdom of God is all about hope, healing, and restoration. And God wants to accomplish those things through your life. He wants to accomplish those things through his church. He wants to bring hope, healing, and restoration. And so in some of these things, we, we're thankful for technology. We're thankful to get to meet together. We're thankful for the programs and the activities that we do. But everything that we do, it's all about Jesus. So if we can do this anywhere, I'm thankful that we have this building. I'm thankful that we have this resource, this tool that we can use to bring people together, to bring people to Jesus. I'm thankful that we have great people that God has brought to this church and to this assembly. I'm thankful that God has brought a fantastic assistant pastor. I'm thankful that God has given me an incredible blessing to be the pastor here. I'm incredibly honored that I get to lead this amazing congregation of people. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're online today. I am just so blessed the fact that someone showed up today and came in the door and the fact that people logged in online. It's so good to be with you today. It's such an honor to be your pastor. I'm thankful that God has sent us here. I love and value so much being able to see your faces. I love so much being able to see your eyeballs this morning. It's so good to worship with you today. I enjoy a gathering of people who like to sing together, pray together, laugh together, and certainly, of course, cry together. Because sometimes we all need a good cry. And sometimes we just need to be filled with joy and laughter. I love seeing God's people gather and celebrate together in person and online. But in light of all that, to say this today, no matter how we gather, no matter when we gather, no matter how we meet, no matter what program, ministry, activity that we do, my prayer is that we would be moved to worship. My prayer is that we would be moved to worship. Can you say moved to worship this morning? Moved to worship. You can type that in the comments if you're online. Moved to worship. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture from the book of Ezra, as I mentioned a moment ago. And this book describes the exiles return to Jerusalem. So if you read through the Bible, you know that the children of God were found not to be faithful. 
They were taken over by King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and they hauled off the best of the best, the smartest of the smartest, the best-looking people. So if you ever get to experience a foreign country invading Canada, and they start looking for the best of the best-looking people, you can guarantee that I am staying behind, okay? But many of you in this room, I think, are going because you're some good-looking people here today, okay? So you have confidence But we see in Ezra, this is the chance around 550 BC. It describes the exiles return to Jerusalem through a series of circumstances. We see King Cyrus. He is the king of the empire at the time. And he gives permission for Zerubbabel, whose name really means, literally means uh, out of Babylon or born of Babylon. He represents the generation of Israelites that were born in captivity in Babylon. That's just a fun fact for you today. But the book of Ezra and Nehemiah all kind of are written originally as one story of the people coming back to Israel, coming back to Jerusalem, the land that God promised for them to rebuild their temple, rebuild their city. And as Nehemiah comes back, he comes back to rebuild the walls. Now let me just back up and say this properly uh, Zerubbabel, he's the one that comes to build the temple, whereas Ezra is the one who really comes to restore the practices of the temple, the sort of the spiritual revival that takes place. So we have the physical building by Zerubbabel. It's really hard to say his name. I'm really bad with names. Then we have Ezra who comes to bring the spiritual, spiritual transformation, and then Nehemiah who comes and shows really good leadership and builds another building project for protection. And we're going to get into some of these things a little bit here in just a minute. But today's reading really does tell us a story of tragedy and triumph. And again, if you keep reading, tragedy again. The people follow a two-year plan of worship and work. And at this point that the story we're going to start reading today, we discover that the foundation of God's house has been completed. It was time to rejoice, reminisce, and express hope for the future. The foundation of the temple was laid. It's time to reminisce. It's time to rejoice and time to celebrate the future and the hope that exists in the future. The destruction of the original temple of Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar had hindered the worship of the true God in the people's hearts. I don't know what it is about the physical structure, but when the Israelites saw that their temple was destroyed, in that moment, their relationship with God was also destroyed. The place that they worshipped no longer existed. Without that structure, and it's important to know that in the Old Testament, the temple represented the very presence of God. So you had the inner holies of holies that had a big curtain that separated the rest of the temple from the inner courts. And in that most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant, and that is where the presence of God resided. And so all of Israel would come to Jerusalem because that's where the presence of God was. And when the temple was destroyed, there was no place for the presence of God to be. And so the people were left hopeless. They held on to the little bit of hope and the prophecies that they had that one day God would restore his kingdom. And so King Cyrus, he gets word from the prophet and someone says to him, Hey, Cyrus, king... Did you know that it's prophesied that one day Jerusalem will have a temple again? 
One day, Jerusalem will rise again, and the kingdom of God will prevail. And so Cyrus says, who am I to come against your God? And he gives them permission to go back and build their temple. A story from tragedy moving in to triumph. But here's, here's what is interesting about the fact. They stopped worshiping God long before the temple was destroyed. Right? So they, they saw that the temple was destroyed and it totally wrecked their faith. Totally disrupted their lives. But the fact of the matter is, is that the presence of God had left them long before this moment. The fact is that the presence of God had left long ago because their hearts were not even aligned with him in the first place. The fact that they were in captivity actually brought a deeper hunger for God. And so they actually had the desire to build the temple again because there was a change of heart that had taken place or so it had seemed at that time. The 70 years of captivity in Babylon had purified their hearts and intensified their fervency for God. The circumstances demanded, which is this, when I read this, this just blew my mind. The circumstances that they were in demanded that they would meet, not in the temple courts, but that they would be forced to meet in small groups. Sounds a little familiar. They were forced to meet in small groups, not in the large gatherings at the temple because of their circumstances. What's also I find fascinating and how this relates to us today is that this eventually would move into the synagogue movement where they would set up synagogues for people to come and worship because they couldn't gather at the temple. Even before they begin the construction of the project, before anything else begins, they set up an altar so that they can worship. They set up an altar to express reverence and obedience to God. Building or no building, God's people always find a way of personal, a place of personal and if available, corporate worship. Building or no building, God's people find a way for personal and if available, corporate worship. I just love that out of this crisis, they see some incredible creativity take place. They find a creative way to worship. They find a creative way to gather. Catherine, I told you to put that away. Put it down. Put it down. Play with your phone. Thank you. God's people always find a way to worship. All right, so Pastor Gary, is this true? Let's read it from the Bible. Let me read from Ezra 3, 1, so you know that I'm not making this stuff up. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, son of Josadak, and his fellow priest, Zerubbabel, son of the, uh, the Shealtiel, and his associates began to build the altar of God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and the evening sacrifices. 
Then, in accordance with what was written, they celebrated the festival of tabernacles with the required number of burnt offerings prescribed for each day. After that, they presented the regular burnt offerings, the new moon sacrifices, and the sacrifices for all the appointed sacred festivals of the Lord, as well as those brought as as well as those brought as free will offerings to the Lord. On the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, though the foundation of the Lord's temple had not yet been laid. And that was the, the, the one that really stood out to me in this reading, was that they began to worship even though the foundation of the temple had not yet been laid. They had the foundation of the altar, but not yet the foundation of the temple. And what also stood out to me when we read this today, and when I was reading it earlier in the week, was that in Israel, there was a number of people that were left behind, that weren't taken into captivity. And these people kind of set up their own way of life over the 70 years of captivity. This land was kind of their land now. They had kind of not so much free reign, but they had a a limited ability of power and control over this area. And so we see these exiles return, many of them born in captivity, never had seen this land before, now offering sacrifices. And they said, even though there is fear of those people, even though there is fear of, of people coming down on us or persecuting us, regardless of what's going on, we are choosing to worship. They make the choice to worship. They make the choice to give an offering to the Lord to worship. No matter the circumstances, no matter the cost, no matter the opposition, they choose to worship. They're moved to worship. Now, the temple to them was important because it represented the presence of God. And the presence of God caused them to worship. And when we worship, I have discovered and, and seen the kingdom of God become alive and active. And I'm not talking just when we sing the right song in the right key at the right time in the right way. I'm talking when we live our lives as holy sacrifices, pleasing and acceptable to God, our physical act of worship. When we choose to align our hearts with the kingdom of God, when we choose our actions to mirror those actions of Jesus. When we let the Holy Spirit take over our lives, we let the fruit of the Spirit produce good fruit of kindness and goodness and generosity in our lives, we see the kingdom of God come here on this earth. And that was Jesus' prayer. He prayed, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And during that passage, he spends a number of times talking about the kingdom of God coming. Now, here's what's interesting. They do all the right things. They do all the right sacrifices. And then as we read here in just a few verses down, it says in verse 10, When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with their trumpets, and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord, as prescribed by King David of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So this sounds like a really good moment. Things are happening. Things are getting built. Roofs are getting put on houses. Just plug there. 
New floors are being laid. Thanks, Greg and Frank, for all your hard work on the floor. This is, many of you probably haven't even seen this floor in person yet. The doors are open. We have a place to worship, and the people celebrate, and they declare the goodness of God. But let's see what happens in this verse. But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of the temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. And when I read that, I was really confused because I would think that they would be overjoyed as well, if not more than their children, to see the temple of God being rebuilt, seeing the things of God, the practices of Israel be put back into place, the ordinances of their worship. They sang the songs right. They sacrificed the right kind of animals. They wore the right kind of garments, the right kind of clothes. They said the right things. They got the right kind of instruments. They were doing all the right things. And then we see the elders not shouting for joy, but weeping and shouting out of sorrow and agony. And I have to ask myself, why do they feel this way? It's a story of tragedy, a story of triumph, and again, a story of tragedy. Now, I like, I like when we praise and I like when we worship. I like when things get exciting. I like to dance and jump and move around a little bit. Maybe not as much as I, I don't physically do it as much as I used to. If I worked out, maybe I could do it longer. I like when things get loud I like when we have a good time in the presence of God. I don't live for those moments. It's not about those moments, but I really love those moments. I love going to youth convention to overflow and jumping in there with, my, with, with, with all of our teenagers and just going crazy and having a really amazing time in God's presence and celebrating and praising and being exuberant and over, overjoyed. I absolutely love those moments. And so when I read this next verse, it really spoke to me. This is what it says. It says in verse 13, it says, No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping. And because the people made so much noise that the sound was heard far away. Because the people made so much noise, the sound was heard far away. I can remember growing up, our church was on a hill. And we would walk up to church in the morning, and then we would walk up to church Sunday night. And on a hot summer's day in Sulacut, Ontario, sometimes the summers were warm. And sometimes as you would sing and dance and, and get excited in church, you'd get a little bit warm. So we'd open up the windows. And I can remember getting complaints from the neighbors because the music at church was too loud. The people praising was too loud. And you'd hear it echo from the top of the hill. I could stand all the way down at King Street at the bottom of the hill. And I knew if I was late for church, that church had started already. Because I could hear the drums, I could hear the music, I could hear the guitar, I could hear people singing. And you'd hear it walking up the street. You could hear the noise kind of echoing across the hill. I love those moments. And that's exactly what's happening in Israel at this moment. The people are praising, they're excited. And then on the other side of it, the people are mourning. Now, people want to worship the God of gods. People want to worship the King of kings. I'm thankful today that the problem that we're going to talk about here in a minute doesn't exist for us if we allow God to do what God wants to do. See, the problem that existed is they rebuilt the altar. They rebuilt the temple. 
They put into practice all the right things they were supposed to do from a spiritual perspective. But out of all of those physical things that they did, they built a wall around the city. They did it in record time. One of the most incredible building projects that ever existed in the Bible. An incredible story of leadership. If you want to be a leader of somebody, read the book of Nehemiah and learn how to be a good leader. And Zerubbabel and Ezra and Nehemiah, all of their stories follow a similar pattern. They have this great idea, this great provision and blessing of a king. They have incredible resources, and there's also incredible opposition. And there's so many lessons we pull out of that. Is, and here's the first one, is that when we worship, when we have those moments, we will often experience some form of opposition. When we choose to follow God, there's going to be someone that's not going to understand. There's going to be someone or something that's going to disagree. And we're going to face opposition. There's going to be people that are going to come against us. Mackenzie, don't go in there, please. Go downstairs. There's going to be people that are going to have issues, and we're going to face opposition. But through those opposition, we see out of all of that circumstance, God made a way. The leaders found a way to make it happen, regardless of opposition. They continued their practices. So Zerubbabel says to the residents who were not taken into exile, they came and said to him, what is it you are doing? We want to help. And Zerubbabel says, go away. We got this. We don't need your help. Ezra comes along, and these same people who are living in the land came to him and said, we want to be involved with what you're doing. And he says, well, according to the law, you have now married with other cultures. You've married our enemies. And so he puts out this divorce decree. He says, you can be a part of what we're doing if you send off all of your your." impure wives and your impure children away, and you can join us what we're doing here. And what's fascinating is that God never told Ezra to do that. In fact, God made a way and made a provision, and the prophecy of Zechariah and the other prophets, they tell us that God actually made a way for people who were not part of Israel to become covenant children of God as well. He didn't tell us to send people away. He didn't tell us to send out the women and the children. Really backwards, right? Because when the ship is sinking, what's the first thing that we do? Who do we save? The women and the children. In Ezra's mind, though, they were unholy. They were impure. But the bottom line is, and and maybe you know this, maybe you've experienced this in your own life, is that no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do, we will never be pure. This is why we have Jesus Christ. This is why we have a Savior. This is why they had the sacrifices and the burnt offerings to pay for the price of their sins and their impurity. God made a way when there was no way. God made a way. And so here we see this story of tragedy, triumph, and tragedy. Nehemiah builds the wall of Jerusalem. He faces opposition from neighboring communities, some evil, some just concerned, We've done a series on this before. Great leader, great vision, great perseverance, lots to learn. But he too builds a physical structure. And this is what happens to Nehemiah And you read the end of the book. It's kind of depressing. He reads through this. They build the wall. They have the temple. They do this great rededication of the temple. They do this great celebration. And Nehemiah begins to walk the streets of Jerusalem. He begins to walk along the wall that he 
constructed. And what does he find? He finds people creating marketplaces along the temple wall, along the wall of Jerusalem, which is something he tried not to do because these people were taking advantage of other people. They weren't operating a business of integrity. It became a place of corruption. And he realized as he was walking through the city that even though they had instituted the buildings, the structures, the practices, they were wearing the right clothes, playing the right songs, burning the right sacrifices. He says they're doing all of these things, and yet one thing has never changed, and that was their heart. Everything on the outside had changed, but nothing on the inside was ever transformed. Nothing on the inside ever came to life. And so when we see this verse of the elders and the old priests who are mourning in this moment of celebration, they're mourning because they realize that even though they have the temple and the altar, the presence of God is not there. The presence of God had left that space. And so they mourn. Now, what's fascinating to me is that Nehemiah was dead set on building this wall. I mean, a wall provides security. A wall provides safety. It provides protection. But yet, when you read in Zechariah's prophecy, when he prophesies the kingdom of God, and you read through the old prophets, and you can continue reading in your Bible past the Psalms and the Proverbs, you get past some of these stories, you get into the the words of the prophets, And what we discover is that the kingdom of God that is prophesied is a city without walls. We see Ezra send away the women and the children, but when you read the prophecies, when you read from the prophets, they say that the kingdom of God will include every nation of Israel and every nation of the world will be at the gates and at the feet of God's kingdom. Every nation of the world will be gathered to worship God. And yet, for some reason, Ezra has it in his mind. He needs to send these people away. You know, sometimes we get ideas in our mind that seem right to us. You know, Proverbs tells us there's a way that seems right to a man, which is why we should listen to the women, right? Amen, women? There's a way that seems right in our own heart, our own mind, and we might have the best intentions in the world. But if we don't truly have an experience that aligns our heart with the heart of Jesus, if we don't allow ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if we don't allow God to transform and change our heart on the inside, everything we do will be for nothing. Every free ice cream that we give away, every kids camp that we do as a church, every program we do with our youth, every opportunity to visit our seniors, if we just do it for the sake of doing it to get the pat on the back, I mean, this is, this is amazing, right? We are incredibly blessed as a church with the relationship that we have built in our community, right? We could walk down the, the street and you could proudly put up your shoulders and say, hey, I'm a part of North Shore Church. And they're like, hey, you're the church that does the hot dogs at the high school. Oh, yeah, I remember you from doing, giving me that hot dog. And remember that time I ate 12 hot dogs? Oh, you're the church that was giving out free cookies at the Lighthouse Festival. Oh, you're the church that does the kids and youth program. My kids love coming to youth on Thursday nights. And we can walk around, we can get the pat on the back, we can do all of these right things, and we can put a smile on our face, and people will say, well done, so thankful for you. 
But if nothing has changed on the inside, if God has never transformed our heart, if God doesn't continue to transform hearts and lives, that's why we have the word change on the wall. It's not that we want your money and your change. We actually believe that God wants to bring transformation because the kingdom of God is not like this world. The kingdom of God, the things of Jesus, he doesn't think in human terms. He thinks in godly terms. He thinks in holy terms. And so I want to be part of God's kingdom, not Pastor Gary's kingdom, not a part of the North Shore kingdom. I want the kingdom of God to be alive in this place. I want to continue to build our relationships in our community, not because I want the pat on the back, but because it shows the love of Jesus, the generosity of our King. I want to worship with freedom from my heart, not just because I think I sound really good when the microphone's turned up really loud. But I I want my worship to Jesus to be authentic, that I am passionately in love with him, that I just want to sing songs about him, I want to sing songs to him. Because in the moments when things start to fall apart, when the moments of opposition come, when the moments of illness come, when the moments of struggle come, at that point, my faith has grown so much inside of me. My love for God has grown so much inside of me that it doesn't matter what I face because I know that God is faithful. I know that his kingdom will prevail no matter what. That the doors will be open. There'll be no more walls. There's nothing that separates us from the presence of God. So even as the temple priests mourned the lack of the presence of God, we see Jesus come to be that final sacrifice for us. That final sacrifice for sin. It says the moment he died, that temple curtain was ripped in half. The presence of God is no longer confined to a space. So that wherever we go, and we're reminded again and again and again in the New Testament, that Christ lives in me. The old is gone, the new has come. So my challenge for us today is that as we move beyond Sunday morning, as we go from this place, as we enjoy our ice cream in a minute, that we would be moved to worship. Not because we're playing the song right or even when we play it wrong. Not because we're singing on the right key or singing with everything that we have. But that we'll be moved to worship because we genuinely desire the presence of God. That we genuinely desire to see his kingdom come. And we are willing to do whatever it takes to see God move on the North Shore and around the world. Are you with me? Give me a head of the nod. Give me a thumbs up in the comments. I got a lot of thumbs up in person. That was cool. Let's pray, and then we're going to take a moment, and we are going to worship in song. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your goodness. Lord, I thank you so much that you have provided a way for us to worship freely, without reservation, without issue, without struggle, without problem, God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would worship, Lord, in spirit and in truth, that we would be moved to worship by our deep love for you, O God. Lord, I'm so thankful that there is no one like you, or that you made a way when there was no way. Lord, I pray that we would always walk in humility, that we would always walk in faithfulness, faithfulness, O oh God. Lord, when we saw earthly leaders exclude people for a good intention and for a good goal, we know that it was never your intention to leave anybody behind. And so, God, I pray that as we 
move forward in your kingdom. Lord, that we would leave no one behind, but we would make every opportunity for every person to experience your love and your presence, O oh God. Lord, would you continue to move in our hearts, to change our hearts and our minds and align it with the things of your spirit. In your name I pray, amen.